He created the stars. He created the mountains. He created the seas. And he, the creator of the universe, created me. I am his. Well, welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. And uh, yeah, you got to turn me down. I sound a little bit like a little Barry White up here. You know what I'm saying? That's not good. I'm filtering right now, people. Just give me a minute. So, uh, is that Randy Seifert out there? I heard that voice. All right. It's going to be a good service if Randy's here. I can say anything, Randy will just laugh. That was your time to laugh, Randy, but you didn't. You held out on me, man. What's up with that? Josh, you got it worked out? Or do I have to start singing? Let's get it on. What I got to do? Is that good? I'm good? Awesome. Um, we're starting a brand new series today in, still a lot of feedback, uh, starting a brand new series today in the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, if you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. What we're going to be doing from now for the next several weeks is we're going to be walking through the book of Ephesians. And so I say that because some of you like to kind of, hey, where are you going? What's going on? You want to read, uh, you know, some of you like really, you know, you want to read like different things and uh, commentaries and, and that type of a thing. And so we're going to be walking through the book of Ephesians. And there's this whole I am theme throughout Ephesians. Uh, and so this week we're talking about I am blessed. And so every week I am, and it ultimately is, 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 is we're his. And so that's kind of the whole theme of this of this series. So I hope that you will uh, get a lot out of this. Um, I hope that you will also, if you're one of those Bible buffs that really like to dig in this, that you'll, you'll do that. And, um, and also, if you're brand new uh, to faith in Christ, or you're not even a Christ follower, uh, one of my goals is to make sure that what I'm saying is something that you can understand. Uh, I grew up in church all my life, and I've never understood how, first of all, there's two things I can't understand about preachers. If I, can I just go off on preachers for a minute? Is that all right? So it's just me? And I'm a preacher and you're not, so I'll just make fun. I, I don't understand how preachers can take the Bible, which is the most amazing book, and make it boring. I, I, don't, I don't know how you do that. You really have to have a messed up gift set to make the Bible boring. But there's a lot of guys that do. And, uh, and so I, I hope that that's, not your, that that's not your experience as we journey through this. The second thing is, is, is I understand there's some deep theological constructs, but my job as a preacher, as a communicator, is to try to make this as simple as possible. Not dumb it down, but just explain it. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to take this message and tailor it to multiple generations that are in this room, and to people that are single, married, young, old, uh, different ethnic backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, and tailor it right to where you live. I can't tell you how many times people say to me, man, pastor, it's like you read my mail this week. It's like you were, you were in my living room this week. You heard the conversation between my wife and I or between myself and my kids or whatever. And, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That, that's what makes the church so amazing. And it's so awesome. And, and why I love this dynamic is that in this moment, there is no way I can craft a talk or a message or a speech or a lecture that can do that. But the Holy Spirit can. And so I, that's my prayer for, for this message and for this series. And so I want to talk today with this whole theme of I am blessed. And these first 14 verses 
of Ephesians chapter 1 talk about the fact that we are blessed. When you say the word blessed, what does that mean? I mean, I've, de- I've traveled to developing third world nations, and, and I, I am always overwhelmed with how blessed I am to live in America and to live in the country in which I live in. But I think it's more than that. I read the 23rd Psalm, and I had an experience this past fall. I was at a silent prayer retreat, which was quite a a discipline for me, uh, for 48 hours of not talking, except to myself, which I did a whole lot of. You're supposed to walk slow, not talk to anybody, anyhow. And... The, the theme of this, this retreat was, uh, was of 23rd Psalm. And, and so we would come together for these short bursts where, where the, the leader of the retreat would, would basically kind of unpack part of that. And then we would kind of go and we were to be reflective upon that. And I don't deal real well with, like, just how does that make you feel and reflection. I'm just not one of those kind of guys. And, and so, but, but he talked at this point about... Where in the 23rd Psalm, where God says, that, that David says that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he talked about how that the fulfillment is to be found in Christ. And I remember for the very first time in my life going, there is nothing in my world that I'm having to ask God. There are no wants that I have. I mean, there are desires that I have for the kingdom. There's, there's desires that I have for my kids. There's, there's, there, 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 there's things I, I want to see accomplished, but, but there's not a want. I, I'm, I'm not in a place of need where, God, I need a, a car to get to work or I need clothes or I need whatever. I mean, I was raised in a family where we, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we would get in that white Ford Torino and my mother would say, we got to pray, God, you would stretch this gas so we get these boys to school. My brother and I would pray against it in the name of Jesus. I didn't want to go to school. So, I mean, I, I just remember, and, and it hit me, like, God has so blessed my life. But it's more than material things. But what, what he means, and he talks about this in verse 3, I'm going to get there in just a second, is that it's this thing. Don't want you to think of it this way when we say, I am blessed. Where do people in the world without Jesus turn when they're in trouble? Where do they go for, for hope? Where do they go for peace? Where do they go for answers? Where do they go? What, what, what happens? Well, we know they go into all types of addictive behaviors and, and things that lead them away. But when he says, I am blessed, it means I'm not alone. When I'm blessed, it means that I have Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. The Bible says he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning at the end, the first and the last. John the Revelator said, He's that which was and is and forevermore shall be. It means that I have peace in the middle of my storms. It doesn't mean that my life is storm free. It means in the middle of the storm, He's in the boat with me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. It means that though I face fear and I face trouble and I face struggle, that I have hope. That greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I am blessed. That's what I want to talk about today. Verse 3, the Apostle Paul says it this way. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We see that we're blessed because we are in Christ. The blessing comes because we're in Christ. The peace comes because we're in Christ. The hope comes because we're in Christ. The blessing comes because we're in Christ. 
See, I shall not want is not because I've been smart enough to make good investments. I shall not want isn't because I was born in a first world nation and I'm blessed. I, I, I'm blessed having nothing to do with temporal things. I'm blessed not having anything to do with my own intellect or my own ability. I'm blessed not because of me, but because I am in Christ. That's where the blessing comes from. So I want to unpack this because he unpacks this beautifully in these 14 verses here in Ephesians chapter 1. He opens with some background. Look at verse number 1 and verse number 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know the author here is Paul. We know from scholarship that this was written somewhere between 60 and 64 A.D. after the death of Christ. And Paul's writing this from a Roman jail cell. He's in prison. And he uses the word, I am an apostle. And the word apostle in the original Greek means sent one. He's sent by Jesus. Notice this. He says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So he, it's not of his own authority, it's, it's, it's not of himself, it's not of any of that, it's of Christ. And the audience is the church, the Christ followers, in Ephesus. He calls them saints. See that there? He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Now, we've been, mis, we've been misinformed that sainthood is something to be attained. It's a merit that's given to a select few by the church. Not according to Scripture. The Bible says that my job as a pastor is to equip you, the saints of the church, to do the work of ministry. You who are in Christ Jesus, you who are the church, you are the saints. Again, I know that flies in the face of some of you from some of your liturgical backgrounds that you may have been raised in. But the reality is, is I'm not asking you what that denomination or that ideology thinks. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm just going back to Scripture. And the Bible says that you're the saints. I want you to think of sainthood not as something to be attained by merit, by a select few. But it's a privilege. It's a responsibility to live for Jesus. That's what that is. To be a saint is not something to be extolled. To be a saint, a saint is, a, is, is a privilege. It's a responsibility. And so it's, it's given to this group, this church in Ephesus. And the theme throughout the entire book you're going to see as we walk through this is that the life of Christ, excuse me, the life of a Christ follower, how it exists within the body of Christ. Now, Ephesus, just sometimes when we re hear stories and we, we, we hear names in the Old Testament, New Testament, we just think in a land far, far away. Like this is the beginning of a Star Wars movie, right? Ephesus is an ancient city, modern-day Turkey, not too far from Istanbul, one of the greatest airports on the face of the planet. Ephesus was a wealthy, wealthy city filled full of affluent, powerful individuals. It was also known for its moral decay and decadence. Because of their money, because of their affluence, because of their wealth, they could buy anything and have anything. And so, and so kind of crazy kind of sometimes goes with wealth. It kind of feeds the eccentricities. And that's what is happening in Ephesus. And this church of these Ephesians, which are Greek Christ followers for the most part are there, and they are living, trying to live out this faith in Jesus Christ in a very, very, very immoral world. Does that sound familiar at all? Can I just help you to understand that the issues that we face today may be new for us, but they're not new in the eschaton of time. 
they're not new from, from look, from Genesis all the way through to, 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 to Revelation. They're, they're, they're not new issues. And so how do you, so when you read this, you have to understand that, man, it helps us how to live today. So how do I live this blessed life in Christ? How does this blessed life in Christ work? I'm so glad you asked that question. Because he goes on to explain how I am blessed in Christ. First of all, the Father has planned it. So he first gives assent to the fact that God the Father put all this together. This has been planned from the beginning of the, of, of, of the world. Look at verses 4, 5, and 6. Paul says, For he, speaking of God, chose us, that's, that's, that's the church, in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And in love, he predestined us. We're going to talk about that word. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given in the one he loves. In verse 4, he uses the word holy, which means to be called out, to be separated. He chose us before the creation of the world to be holy. Now, let me stop right here just so you understand. I understand that the audience, this was uh, these epistles, which are letters, if you would, this letter was written from Paul the Apostle to the church in Ephesus. The Bible says of itself, though, that all of Scripture is God-breathed, which means it's the words of God. And it's useful for all of us Christians at any time, in any place, uh, in, any, in any part of the world, to, to grow and develop in our faith. So when he's speaking to the church, he's speaking to us. If you're in Christ Jesus, he's speaking to you and I even to today. That's the power of God's word. So, so sometimes you'll hear me refer to the church of Ephesus. He's saying this too. Sometimes I'll say to us. It's interchangeable. Holy, to be called out, to be separated. God has chosen us before the creation of the world to be holy. Why? How? How does this holiness thing work? Verse 5, it says that he has predestined us for adoption through sonship in Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. Now this word predestined, there are two thoughts on this. And I don't want to get into the weeds of Armenian belief and Calvinistic belief. We at Life Church would be an Armenian believing church, which means we believe that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A Calvinistic mindset would say there's only an elect, there's only a few, there's only certain people that can actually get to heaven. God knows who those people are, we don't, so we tell everybody because we don't know who they are. Well, the problem that I have with that is that it doesn't hold a lot of theological water. And the fact that when the Bible says, for God so loved the world, it didn't say for God so loved a, 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 a share few. It didn't say that God so loved just a certain group of people. The Bible says, whoever calls the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. The Bible used these, uses these inclusive plural pronouns in which to include us into the conversation. And some people would say, yeah, but, but this says that God knows. Yes, he does know. This is where it's a little bit beyond our pave grades. I'm going to try to explain this a little bit. Not that I got it figured out, all right? It's like a termite and a yo-yo. You understand? I'm just one beggar to another beggar where to find food. But if God is omniscient, he's all-knowing. He knows from the beginning to the end because he has no beginning. He has no point of origin. He has no ending. That's beyond us because we're very finite creatures. If you don't think we are, go do, we, we, we 
divide time from birth to death. Every graveyard in a cemetery, this is when they were born, this is when they died. Finite, limited, beginning and end. We don't like loose ends. God's okay with that. God was around before time was. Is that confusing? Sure it is, because we have these limited, finite minds. And he will be around when time is over. Well, I thought it goes on for eternity. It does, but whenever eternity ends, it's kind of a a crazy thought. He's still going to be there. But it doesn't end. I know, but he's still one more second beyond that. So God understands everything that's ever happened, everything that will happen, and what's going to happen within the continuum of time. Of what's happening with six plus billion people on the planet today, what happened yesterday, what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows. He's God. He's all-knowing. How does he do that? I have no stinking idea. Is that deeply theological enough for you? But the Bible says that that's what he is. So when it says that he's chosen us, He's chosen all of us. He, he wants all of us. The heartbeat of God is not willing that any should perish. It's not about a frozen chosen select. It's not about a few people. It's about whosoever would call on the name of the Lord. That's why missions is so important. That's why evangelism is so important. That's why we live our lives in such a way to bring glory to God. Because we don't know who we will affect. God ultimately knows what you're going to choose, what I'm going to choose, what you're going to do, what I'm going to do. God knows if I'm going to stay on my diet today or if I'm going to just crash and burn at the buffet. Amen. He knows. But at the end of the day, he has planned. He has a plan. He has predestined. He has pre-planned. He knows exactly what I'm going to do. The essence is, is in verse 5 and verse 4, he explains that you are not an accident. That's what, that's what he's trying to communicate. That you are not an accident, that I am not an accident, that God chose you, that God chose me, that God has a plan for you, that God has a plan for me, that God has a plan for every one of us. See, when I say that, that goes beyond our ability to mentally comprehend that. Our cognitive abilities shut down because there's no way. How do you do that? How do you keep up with that amount of information? How do you flow that? He's God. Listen to what David says about this in Psalm 139, verses 15 and 16. My frame, speaking of physical body, was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. God knew us when we were not yet formed. God had a plan for us when we were still in our mother's womb in the earliest stages of development. God knew our actions before we ever drew our first breath. When Paul says here about this, he has chosen us, he has chosen you in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He's predestined you for adoption through the sonship through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's not speaking about a few holy elect people. No, he's talking about you and me, wherever we are, whoever we are, first world, third world country, fourth world country. It doesn't matter. God loves us. God has a plan for us and his desire is that we will love him. You're not an accident. Look at verse 4. He chose us. That word chose means in the Greek, out, I say. It's actually a compound word that would say out to come out, and it's a declaration to say, I say, come out. 
Personally selected is what it, de- what it denotes. It, convo- it conveys a great privilege or an honor. It's like an elected to, to, to an office. It's, it, it, it's like if we, as we this fall will elect a president of the United States. Who knows who that's going to be? But we're going to elect someone to office. We're going to choose them. There's a responsibility with the selection, this election. There's a, there, 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 there's a privilege with this. And when does this choosing occur? Look at it. He says, before the creation. Before Genesis chapter 1. Before God spoke the earth into existence. Before God had already spoken the world into existence. He knew your name. If you really take this, these, these, these couple verses, and you put it together, it would read like this. When God saw us, he said, out, I say. And in that moment, he separated us from the rest of the world, and he enlisted us in his service. And think of it. He did all of this before he ever hurled the first layers of the earth's crust into existence. If that doesn't make you feel good about yourself, I don't know what will. That God loves you that much. That God has pre-planned that much. That God has prepared that much. That God knew today in your life you would be here. So how does this work? How does this predestination ideology or theology work? Well, there's two parts to it. One is divine sovereignty. Divine sovereignty, that's a fancy theological term for God's plan. God has a plan. What's his plan? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You want to know what God's plan is? That's his plan. That's it. It's not complicated. It's not, there's not a bunch of legal ease. That's his plan. So on one side, you see this plan of God. On the other side, you see this human responsibility. Human responsibility. It's our response to God. We can accept him or we can reject him. But if we want to be the whosoever that he speaks of in verse 16 of John chapter 3... Then according to Romans 10, 9, we have to respond this way. Declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. It doesn't say you have to be qualified. You have to be selected. You kind of got to be on this premium league before you can get in to see God. No, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For whoever should believe in him will not perish. If I declare with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. That's God's plan. Real simple. Theologians try to make it way more complicated than that. But that's the bottom line. Some people go, well, but I don't know, man. I really think that some of this is like predestined. So God kind of chooses because he knows. Well, he knows what you're going to do. The way I know if I lay, if my, before my three-year-old, if I lay out Oreo cookies, they're gone. It's not real hard. I know what they're going to do. But that doesn't mean that, that, that I have, have tried to in some way uh, uh, connive something or that I'm trying to keep someone else away. No, I just know God knows what we're going to do, but he gives us the ability to choose. He just knows what we're going to choose. God planned it for us. But it's for everybody. If you're not a Christ follower today, it's for you. And if you are, it's for you. It's for all of us. Now, verses 7 through 12 shows us that the son paid for it. That this plan that God has had a price tag. And that price tag was paid for by Jesus. 
Look at verse 7. In him, speaking of Christ, we have redemption. We'll come back to that word. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us with all wisdom and with all understanding. He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Verse 11. In him we were also chosen. We've been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in the conformity with the will, excuse me, with the purpose of his will. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. How did Jesus pay for it? Verse 7 says it's redemption. That word redemption means a complete payment or repayment of a, of, of, of a ransom. Denoting that there's a blood that has to be shed. That, 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 that it's going to cost you someone. Jesus becomes that ransom for us. And because of Jesus Christ, we are free. That's how we have this relationship with God the Father. That's how we have this blessed life. This peace. This hope. Again... People go back to, well, it really, it can't, this is too good to be true. This can't just be for everyone. Verse 11 references we when Paul talks. Verse 11, that we, it's a reference to the Jews. Verse number 13, he says you, it's a reference to the Gentiles. Verse 14 becomes inclusive language with our, the, personal pro, the, the plural pronoun our. It's a reference to Jews and Gentiles together. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile or Jews and Gentiles come together. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus Christ has paid the sin for all of humanity, not just some. And the last thing I love here in verse 13 and 14 is that the Holy Spirit seals the deal. He seals it. The Bible says when Jesus Christ comes into our heart and into our life, that we are sealed, that that salvation is sealed with the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We're sealed. That salvation that God planned for, that Jesus paid for, the Holy Spirit seals us. In the first century, a seal was used to guarantee the contents of a package. The way we would like put like priority with FedEx, it's a seal. And the package, it, it denoted the fact that the package was complete and that it was without defect. The seal was proof that the product that was inside was impeccable. It was usually used by wealthy and powerful individuals. It also was unique to the sender, meaning every single, per, every single package bore the seal of that important person. Wax with a signet ring that was exclusive to that powerful individual would stamp that package, sealing it, ensuring that that person who owned that signet ring that sealed that package guaranteed its contents and that the person that was actually delivering it, the messenger himself, had a responsibility unto that individual, the sender, to make sure that the contents got to its destination, the receiver, on time and intact. The Bible says that the seal of the Holy Spirit is the proof of our salvation. That when 
Our salvation, our faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that we're saved, it's sealed by the Holy Spirit. Paul says as a Christ follower, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. This means that God made you and I new at salvation. The last thing he did was to check us out, thoroughly examine us, before he placed his seal upon us to guarantee that we would make it to our final destination, heaven. That's why you don't have to fear. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've asked Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you've confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, that you will be saved. And that salvation is sealed with the Holy Spirit, which means that God will ensure that the contents of your life will make it to eternity. That God has checked you out and you are God approved, if you would. That seal of the Holy Spirit, it's the guarantee of our salvation. It's the very guarantee of our salvation. And so as we look at that, sometimes we think, well, man, how do I know someone is saved? It's the Holy Spirit in their life. We get really wigged out about being spirit-filled, but we really should be more concerned about being spirit-spilled. What's inside of us comes out. And so when people push us, when life pressures us, what comes out of you? What comes out of me? It should be the Holy Spirit. It should be the the working of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Love, joy, peace, patience. I don't have that. Amen. Long-suffering, self-control. The Bible says peace, goodness, all these things. There is no law. It's it's the effect of the Holy Spirit inside of us. That's the seal. That's the identity. That's what shows that we're his disciples, that we are his children, that we've been adopted. See, I think something that we miss sometimes is this too. Is that God sees value in us and plans our life for us, not to hurt us, but to bless us, not to keep from us, but to entrust in us, to take us further than we could ever even imagine, because we're his. You know, I, I, want, I want to end with, if you were to take this passage here, verse 13, and you were to put it into that language. Let me, let me just kind of paraphrase what that verse says. It's going to be on the screen. The moment you believed, God thoroughly examined and inspected you to make sure that you were fully intact and complete. Because he found nothing in you broken, defective, or faulty. God put his seal on you. The ultimate proof that he found you to be impeccable. That seal meant that you were approved, endorsed, recognized, affirmed, sanctified, and notarized by the Spirit of the living God. It was his guarantee that you are going to make it to your final destination. And on those days where you feel like you're not, you go back to that. It's the seal of the Holy Spirit that's the guarantee of my salvation. So today, if you're in Christ, this message should affirm how blessed that you and I are to be in Jesus. That God knows you. It's a powerful thing. It's something that this side of eternity, where it's so short, because we, we desire to be known as we are known. What everybody in this room really wants, it's not to air out your dirty laundry. It's if, it's if everybody in this world could really know me, 
could really know me, could know my struggles, could know my pain, could know my heartache, and really love me and accept me, that's what it means to be fully known. This side of eternity, to be fully known, even with your spouse or with your kids or with the sibling or with the best friend, we have glimpses of that, but honestly, no. Because it's flawed humanity that we deal with. But God fully knows you. And before he ever spoke this world into existence, he knew your name. He knew your life. And he created a plan for you to bless you in Christ Jesus. God knows exactly where you are today. And God knows exactly what you need. And for me, as I studied this and I worked through this passage this week, this was such reassurance to me that I'm not perfect, but that God knows that. That I struggle, and God knows that. But that His grace truly is sufficient. And that His work is not over. And that really... There's an affirmation that in Christ Jesus, man, I am blessed. Not because of me and my skill and my ability, but because of Jesus. There's a peace that comes with that. And the question always is, is will you trust him? Will you trust him? Do you trust him with your life? He's had this plan. He said, do you trust him? How many times do we want to try to help God out, right? We want to try to, hey, God, you know, you take care of that, I'll take care of my business. You take care of that, I'll take care of the office. You take care of that, I'll take care of my company. No, 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 no. It's about palms up. Job says, God gives and takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because God has a plan, and his plan is to bless us, not to harm us. Does that mean life's going to be perfect? It's always going to be roses? No way. What it does mean is that in those times of trouble, I'm not alone. In those times of, of struggle, they're, they're, they're not just for naught. That God has a plan that he's working those things out. And that I can trust. I can trust in Jesus. I can take him at his word. The other part of this message is it's an invitation of blessing for those of you who may not have yet accepted Christ's plan for salvation through Jesus Christ, his son. You might have heard it. You might have thought about it. You might have been baptized into the church as a form of dedication. But the question is, is have you ever come to a place in your life where you've actually practiced Romans 10, 9? Where you've actually confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is? Do you truly believe God's plan that, that, that his word says in John three sixteen that God loves you and I so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever, you, me, anybody in this room, would call on him, would accept his son, would have everlasting life. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to do just that. To find this blessing in Christ that those of us in this room that are Christ followers have. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? Everyone across this room. If you're here today and you say, Aaron, I want to give my life to Christ, I'm going to ask you to just simply pray this prayer with me. Praying the prayer doesn't save you, but if you believe what you're about to pray, the Bible says that you become that whoever, and whoever believes will be saved. 
You activate God's plan for your life. His blessings for your life. You open that door to allow God in. And I just simply want you to pray this prayer with me. I'm going to ask those of you that have prayed this prayer before to lend your voice with those that may be praying this prayer for the very first time. Can we pray this? Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and to come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior today. God, I accept your plan, your plan of salvation, that Jesus Christ is your one and only Son, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins, and rose from the grave, just like the Bible says. I believe, I confess my sins, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins today and forward. In Jesus' name, amen.